Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Dan Jacobson. I serve at Bethel as a campus pastor at our newest, second coolest campus, Hobart Portage. Second, of course, to you guys, obviously. Like, um, I'm so grateful to be a part of Bethel. What God is doing in the Hobart Portage and surrounding areas is really astounding to me. Um, we are seeing the gospel moving and advancing and growing like crazy. And so I bring greetings from all of your brothers and sisters a few miles up the road that way uh, to you. And we want to just say thank you to a lot of the people who are sitting in this room right now who have sacrificed, who have um, provided resources, who have uh, been praying for our campus. Can I just tell you that God is moving and God is alive and the church is growing and expanding and the gospel is famous uh, in Holbert and Portage and Valparaiso and that area. And so uh, I just want to report back and say thank you for what you've done in making Mission Them a reality and the church growing and expanding. So we're really excited about what God's done that way. Pastor Steve is out today. I don't know why. He looked, for just having a kid, Steve looked pretty good, didn't he? Uh, He's out this week, uh, having just become a dad for the second time, which is amazing. So we ought to brace ourselves for stories of sleep deprivation in the future. Get sleepy now. Open to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6. First oh, Peter chapter four, verse one through six. That's where we'll be today. Uh, Peter has been pastoring a people in crisis. He has been uh, shepherding the people that have been put under his care by the Lord. There are people in churches all throughout the Roman Empire. There are people who have been saved by Jesus. And while living out their faith, they found themselves. They woke up one day in the midst of a changing culture and they found out that they were behind enemy lines taking fire. Boy, does that resonate with us a little bit, doesn't it? That one day you wake up and things have shifted and no longer is your faith in Christ something to be celebrated, but it is something that causes division. Peter is pouring out his pastoral heart to these people, encouraging them. He's reminded them of the gospel. He's connected their suffering to the suffering of Christ. He's told them to do good in a society that is trying to do to them evil. And today, as we jump forward to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, we're going to see that Peter's focus is going to sharpen a little bit, as he tends to do. That he pulls us out of the world that is around Christians, persecuting Christians, pressing in on Christians, and he says, I don't want to focus right now on the world that is happening without, but I want to focus on the world and the war that is happening within you. My friends, I believe that in God's sovereignty, he has this message for us today for such a time as this. That while the world around us may be uh, experiencing friction with the beliefs of what we have, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, and that causes friction, there is a more uh, important war that is happening constantly. And it's the war that happens inside of our souls. And so before we talk about how do we respond to a changing culture, how do we as Christians live amidst today, Peter wants to pull us back and say, before you worry about them, worry about you. I find inside my own heart, I find, wow, you guys are up there too? Hey guys, we don't have that at my campus or at 8.15. I find in my walk with Christ a continual frustration, if I can be honest with you. I was saved at the age of 16. I am 35. I'm not 35. I'm 28. I'm always trying to be older. I'm 28. For the past 12 years, I've been living in freedom. Christ is my guide. Christ 
living inside of me. And yet, I find that daily, I'm still tempted. Daily, there is still this war that wages inside my soul to do the things that I know I ought not to do while I know the things that God wants me to do. And there's this tension that pulls. Maybe you feel it too. We feel things like, well, I, I, I've been following Christ for a decade. Should be done with that by now. Why is this still coming back to haunt me? We find that we have in our soul this desire to do the things that we know we shouldn't do. And at, at some level we say, Jesus, why didn't you take that away yet? Can you relate with me? Can anybody give me a me too? I find that as long as we live in a fallen world, we will be fighting this fallen battle. But Christian, take heart. Because Peter tells us how we ought to win the war within. We ask these questions of ourselves so often. We say, how does the gospel help us overcome this hidden enemy of the sin? How do I make sure I'm not just living for Jesus publicly, but losing the battle privately? Ultimately, the question that is often on our minds is this. Can Jesus really win this war for my soul? I'm so glad that you asked. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1. Through six, And I would like us today, I don't know if Steve has ever had us do this. I'm sure he has. Well, can we stand today for the reading of God's word? Just as a sign of us placing ourselves under the authority of scripture as our authority and out of reverence for the word of God, might we stand and listen as I read this for us today. This is the word of God. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. I want to call this message winning the war within. Just look at the two or three people around you and say, hey, we can win the war within through Jesus. Win the war within. Go ahead and just say hi to some people around you. Encourage them. Win the war within. And you can have a seat. If the person next to you didn't say anything to you, this is going to be an awkward morning for them. (laughs) My... um, my background is from student ministries. I believe Mike Wittig was here a couple weeks ago and did a fantastic job exegeting God's word and preaching to us, didn't he? And um, I, I think he and I are cut from the same cloth. And so I'm going to make you say words to each other today. In the name of Jesus, you will talk. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am gripped by this imagery that Peter uses in chapter 4, verse 1. Um, he says, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. The picture is one of a soldier going off to war, possibly to a foreign land, getting on a plane, going overseas. They're ready for action. They're taking this calling seriously. This is their mission. This is their job. Their life depends upon 
going to battle. They are willing, they are ready, they are able. And I think this imagery frames these verses for us as we seek to stamp out sin in our lives, as we battle the sin that often rages war against our souls within. Winning armies send their troops off to war well-equipped. They're ready. And I see three attitudes, three principles of a sin-slaying Christian that God has equipped each believer with. These are tools that we pick up. This is armor that we hold. This is the mission that we accomplish. That if we uh, see how these things work in our lives, we might be victorious in this battle for personal holiness. And the first one comes from this idea of arming yourselves. Uh, Look at verse 1. Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. The word here is that we would load a gospel mindset. If you find yourself swamped in sin, Peter's encouragement to you today is to arm the cannons of your soul with a gospel mindset. To be piling in and loading up the gospel in your mind. Look at what he says. He says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. This means that we daily load the ammunition of the gospel into our minds. He uses this Greek word. Peter uses this Greek word. Everybody loves a Greek word. I don't know what the Greek word is. I just know that the word means, don't you love that? The word means the heaviest form of artillery. The the heaviest form of protection. Peter could have used a word that was like a light infantryman. He could have used a word that was like, you know, gear up for paintball. But he says, no. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. This arming the self is putting on the heaviest armor to get a shield, to get a a spear, to plate yourself where you're vulnerable so that you can go off to battle to fight the most vilest of enemies. He says, we must, in our battle against sin, not think that we can be cavalier and walk into it haphazardly, but we must prepare to take diligence to find the strongest armor that we can, to find the best, most powerful ammunition against the enemy that we possibly can find. And you know what that is, my friends? We have it already. The armor, the ammunition, it is the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. Look at what Peter says at the beginning of verse 1. He says, since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh. This is a technique Peter's using to draw our minds back to that day when Jesus hung on the cross. He doesn't think about the time when Jesus just suffered in his life. It's that specific moment where he bared the guilt and the weight of our sin upon the cross. Where he was crushed by our sin. The gospel message is this armor. It is this power. That the silver bullet against sin is found only in the person of Jesus. It's only possible because of Jesus' vicarious, victorious atonement for our sins. That's a weird word, vicarious. We don't use it all the time. But we know what it means if you've ever grown up in a home where your mom and dad probably lived their life through you. Maybe you see this in your neighbor's kids, not in your kids, but vicarious. It's like that word that means to live life through somebody else. I was lived, my dad lived his life vicarious through me as a little kid. My dad grew up water skiing, and when I was eight years old, my dad wanted us all to water ski. And so he bought a boat, and I hated water, and I stood on the edge of the boat, and was like, no, dad, I don't want to ski. I use stronger language than that, actually, ashamedly. And my dad said, get in the water, (laughs) 
and he kicked me in. And he got behind the boat, he threw a handle in my hands, and he just kept pulling me for years. And so one day, I was like, all right, I'm done arguing with you, I'll ski. And I learned to love it. And through that experience, my dad lived vicariously again his childhood. If anybody here has a Facebook account or an Instagram account or a Twitter feed, you know what it is to live vicariously through the lives of other people. That you would enter into the experience of other people and treat them as if they were your own. But my friends, while these are kind of virtual examples of a vicarious life, I want to tell you today, and Peter wants to show you today, that we live and we have victory over sin vicariously through Jesus. Not in some strange, abstract sort of way, but in a very real, very rooted in history, very powerful, very actual way. We are connected with Christ. Peter says at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Since therefore, which is like a Bible study double whammy. You ever hear Steve say, well, the word therefore tells you you need to go find out what the there is there for, right? You jump backwards to figure out what is it talking about. The word since is the same way. It's like a logical conclusion. And the logical conclusion that Peter is drawing for us here in 4.1 goes back to 3.18. I want you to lift your eyes in your Bible just up the page a little bit and see what it says in chapter 3, verse 18. It says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. Next week, we're going to study this passage in depth, so I don't want to say too much about it, but I want to say this. Peter's foundational gospel proclamation, his statement here in this passage explains very simply that the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross is effective for paying for your sin and defeating the power of sin in your life. How does that work? Christ, the righteous one, didn't have any sin, right? He died on the cross for those who were riddled with sin. The innocent died and the guilty was set free. We're tended to look at that and say, where's the justice in that, God? And yet, this is exactly what needed to happen for us to be cured from the curse of sin in our lives. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The amazing thing about grace is that God unites us with his son, Jesus, so that his righteousness on the cross becomes our righteousness and our unrighteousness on the cross becomes his unrighteousness and that we can walk, those who have faith in Christ, can walk in this union with Christ, in this inexplicable, undeniable union that we have so that his life is now our life and his death is now our death. And so, follow, follow me for a second. If Christ has died to sin and you are in Christ, my friend, you have died to sin. No longer must it have any control over your lives. No longer must it be ruling you as a master. This is why Peter orients our discussion around sin and our war against sin around the suffering of Jesus on the cross. He says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Because Christ has given us the vicarious victory, dying as the substitute, and so we walk daily in union with Christ. What does it mean to, to load your mind with the gospel? What does it mean to load a gospel mindset? I think it means just a few things. It means that daily we are waking up and putting on the armor of God. 
Daily we are uh, uh, laying down our own lives and our own desires and we're saying, Christ, be my everything, be my desires, be Jesus, my Savior, my soul, satisfied. You know, as a church, we load the gospel in our minds constantly. We actually just did it through communion. In a couple of weeks, we'll do this through baptism. These are ways that we remember and think back upon the sacrifice and the substitution that Christ was for our sins. And we're arming our minds with the gospel, remembering daily the gospel. And I think when we load the gospel in our minds, it serves as a reminder for us, not only that Christ died for our sins, but it reminds us this very forgotten truth in the church. Your sin kills Jesus. It killed Jesus, I should say. Your sin, my sin, is poison. We need to see sin the same way that God sees sin. For the wickedness that it is. And when you load the gospel, when you rehearse the gospel in your mind on a daily basis, you not only remember that Christ loved you so much that he died for you and caused you to worship him, but you remember the wickedness of the sin that we lived in that put him there in the first place. My friends, if you want to live the victorious Christian life, we have to live daily in this mindset of remembering the gospel. So that in the moment of temptation, today at 3 o'clock when you're at home and this message has escaped your mind, you might be rehearsing the gospel in that moment of temptation and say, my sin, this sin that I'm considering is so bad, is so wicked, It looks so good, but I know underneath everything is the most vile of poisons that scars my soul and separates me from God. And it creates me in me this ineffective witness in the world. Sin does all of these things. And when we load a gospel mindset, it helps us understand the enemy that we're dealing with is so vile. I find, if I can just be honest with you guys, I hope I can. When I don't load the gospel in my mind, when I'm not waking up and remembering who Jesus is and what he's done, I go throughout my day and I walk sort of this pompous, arrogant, snide type of guy, lives in the flesh, lives for himself. And when the moment of temptation comes, you know what happens when I live like that? I get all puffed up. And I go, oh, good, I can take this on. And all of a sudden, I've lost the war because I'm fighting in my own strength. For us to have true victory over sin is not found by you being a better person or you being a better version of yourself in the future. It is only found by looking at the cross of Jesus Christ. It is only found in recognizing that he has won the victory for you and living in light of that. My friend, there's no victory over sin that is not found at the cross. The power of sin is not from your ability to do the law better. It's found in embracing the grace at the cross of Jesus. It's as the old hymn declared, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And when we load a gospel mindset, it helps us understand our current relationship to sin. Look at the end of verse 1 with me. 
Peter says this. Are you still in verse one? Are you still in verse one? Thank you. I'm up here and you're out there and I see. So when I ask a question, I expect to hear something. That's how it works. I'm kidding. I'm good. He says this. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has, what's that word? Has ceased from sin. When you load a gospel mindset, it helps you understand your current relationship to sin is that you're dead to it. Literally, this word means that you're off the chain of sin. That sin was a slave driver. It had you on the chain gang of doing whatever it wanted you to do. Your passions in life led you to do things you never thought you would ever do. Buy plane tickets to go meet people that you never thought you would meet. To do things that you never thought you were capable of. Sin was our master. Sin ruled over us. Sin controlled us. And yet in Christ, you have been released because Jesus holds the power and the keys to life and death himself. And he's let you off the chain to sin. You are free. You are dead to it. You are dead. And look at verse 2. He says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer. Everyone say no longer. For human passions, but for the will of God. When Jesus took you off the chains to sin, he said to you, go, sin no more. No longer do you have to do what you've been doing. No longer do you have to be who you have been. I have come to set you free. I've come to set the captives free. And in me, you are free indeed. It's such an amazing reality that we have in Jesus, all that we need to be free from sin, to win this war within. And so we we are armed, loaded with a gospel mindset. And, And the second tool that we have, the ammunition of the gospel in our minds, and then the second thing that we have is what Peter just talked about for the time. The time, the time, we, we learn how to tell gospel time. I want to say it this way for you. It's that you might wear a gospel watch. Wear a gospel watch. Uh, look at the person next to you and just tell them, where's your gospel watch? And if they got one, you can let them see it. I happen to have a gospel watch right here. This is the gospel watch. God created this. Not really, it's Apple. Do you want to try it? You do? Do you want it? Aaron, this is yours. Can I give it to her? (laughs) I don't know the password, so it's no good to anybody. Um, Time is an interesting thing to us as Americans. We are built around this idea of time. We, uh, I had some kids over at our house yesterday running around the backyard, and they're like, racing against each other and they're like time me daddy time me time me because they want to see how fast they could go we have uh, busy stay-at-home moms my, my wife is one of those and she's crazy busy and she's learning the tricks of multitasking so she can get more done with her time people who start considering the brevity of life create things called bucket lists which are things you want to do before time runs out isn't that what it is We are consumed with time. We plan, we schedule, we prepare, we order our our days with our appointments so that we can make the most of our time. Time is even currency to us because time is, yeah. Time is so important that we put clocks everywhere. In my kitchen, if you come over to my house, I've got a microwave right here that tells me the time and right below it, the oven tells me the time because I need that. I've got it on my phone, on my computer, in my car, at work. There's a clock back there that's counting down the minutes till I have to stop 
speaking to you. That's how much time I have left. You should be thankful for that time, for that clock. Um, But time is interesting because it's one of the only things that we actually wear that we're so interested in. We all want to know what time is it? What time, what time, what time? And so we put on a watch and help us see what it is. Uh, This watch is the most important watch in the world because it not only lets you tell the time, it'll let you take a selfie, which is incredibly important nowadays. Actually, I, I lied to you. There's a watch that is way more important than even this watch. It's your gospel watch. It's the standard-issued watch that God has given to each believer to help them tell gospel time. Because when you come to faith in Christ, you no longer tell time in minutes, hours, days, months, or years. You no longer have to carry with you the to-do list of things you have to do before the day is over. You start telling time in gospel time, in amazing grace time, and I once was lost, but now I'm fine. I once was blind, but now I see the end of that song, I'd have you sing it if I could sing, but at the end of that song, we, we, we see, when we've been there 10,000 years, because gospel time points us always to being in the presence of Jesus. And notice, just notice with me how many times Peter gives timing indicators here in verses 2 and following. I want you to read along verses 2 and following and just see the amount of times that uh, Peter uses this reference to time. He says this, So as to live for the rest of the, in the flesh, no, that's a timing indicator, for human passions, but for the will of God. For the, that is past, another timing indicator, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give an account. That's the timing of the future. To him who is ready right now. The gospel watch helps us win the war within because it tells us a few things about our time. The first is this, it's that our time on earth is fleeting. If you look at the person next to you and tell them, you may not have all the time you think. Peter says, live for the rest. That was like the most morbid thing I'll ever have you say. He says, live for the rest of your time in the flesh, for the will of God. When we wear a gospel watch, we realize our time on earth is innumerably finite. We don't know the hours. We don't know the days. We know, though, that the end will come. There's not a person in here whose gospel watch tells them that their time on earth here is forever. And so all of us, whether we die or Jesus returns, we will cease to be on this earth. It was Spurgeon, uh, which is like Pastor Steve's superhero ever. If you want to get on his good side, just quote Spurgeon. So here's a Spurgeon quote. He said in a meeting just like this, uh, my friends, while we're talking about the rest of our life, It is already going by. Every moment that we are here, we are traveling at an immense rate, speeding on towards that great goal of death. You see, our time on earth is not unlimited. 
I was reminded of this very fact this past Wednesday. Uh, my wife and I had some uh, people from our campus over at our house on Wednesday night for um, Discover Bethel, which is one of our pathways to membership here at Bethel. And um, if you go through Discover Bethel at Hobart Portage, you get to have cookouts at my house. So think about that. Um, we had a great time with uh, a bunch of people at our campus and um, just really enjoyed it. We were cleaning up after everybody had left and my wife got a text from her mom saying um, her mom's cousin had just passed away unexpectedly. With cell phones being in everyone's pocket, you are just one text message away from your whole world kind of being reframed. And my wife got on the phone with her mom and said, Mom, I'm sorry, what happened? And her cousin um, was in his early 60s. He loved the Lord. He had a bad heart. He was actually scheduled to have heart surgery on his heart tomorrow. The day that he passed away, he was sitting in his mom's kitchen table in her house. She's much older than he. Sipping coffee, talking about this procedure he was going to have on Monday and how it was going to help him live life better. I don't know how long I have in this world. I don't know how long you have in this world. Peter didn't know how long he had in this world which is why he tells us, why our gospel watch tells us that for the rest of your short time, do not waste it in sin, but live for God. That for the rest of your time here on earth, might you invest your time so that you can invest in the kingdom of God and the moment that you stand before God and the throne of God, you might hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Which means that some of us, must take seriously the gospel ambition that God has placed in your heart to do the work of him right now while you can. To give a ridiculous uh, example of this idea, it was Professor Harold Hill from The Music Man. Everybody loves The Music Man. And he once said, you pile up enough tomorrows and you'll find you're left with nothing but a lot of empty yesterdays. And because life is short, may we not be left with empty yesterdays. Maybe I could give you a more spiritual example from the mouth of Jesus in John chapter 9. He said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. For night is coming when no one can work. Our gospel watch tells us it's time to get moving. It's time to start living for the Lord. It's time to put into action the gospel. And so I wonder, what is it that God's laid on your heart that you've been sitting idly by, letting someone else take care of it, where you have a God-given passion and gift to take care of the gifting and the, the work of the ministry that has been given to you. What are you going to do with your time? Our Gospel Watch, it shows us the brevity of life of the flesh, but it tells us a second timing indicator. It tells us that even a short amount of time in sin is too long. I was saved at a very early age. So early, I didn't really understand it, quite honestly. It's five years old. I think the worst thing I ever did was say like the D word and kick a cat. And um, I look back at my conversion and I realize the heart attitude that I had, even as a five-year-old, the, 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 the time that I spent living for myself was already, even though it was just five years, was too long. There are people in this room who have been saved and would hear me say that even five years of sin is 
terrible and they say, well, I spent 35 years in sin. I would gladly trade for your five. But our gospel watch tells us that we don't look back on our sinful time fondly. We don't try and trade our sinful time because we live today in the hour of forgiveness. We live today in the hour of grace. One man came to Christ in his conversion and he was addicted to gambling. Another man came to Christ, he was addicted to pornography. Another man came to Christ and he was having an affair. Another man came to Christ and he lived his life as a liar. And yet he came to Christ and the gospel has cleansed him and allowed him to have new life, praise the Lord. And because of that new life, he is dead to sin. And no longer must he live in sin. Look at what Peter says in the text. He says, for the hour that has already passed, the time that has already passed, it suffices. It's enough for us to live in sin. Our gospel watch tells us that the time to sin was yesterday. That today is a day to live for holiness in, in the Lord. I suppose it must be said that there are those in this room who have not yet heard of the love of Jesus Christ. That he forgives your sin, that he changes your heart, that he gives you victory over this war within. And I suppose it must be said from the gospel that if this is you, you are leading a rebellious life, a very wrong kind of life. That's not popular to say today, but that's what God's word says. And here's how Peter makes that case. Look at it with me in the text. He gives a short list of potential actions that demonstrate a rebellious heart. Now, these are contextualized for Peter's day and age, and our list could be much more specific and lengthy. The, the matter is not what is on the page. The matter is that we have these desires in us that wage war against us. It's sin. That all sin separates us from a holy God. It causes us to be scarred in our souls. Look at what he says. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. The life that is lived for itself lives against God and is steeped in self-seeking pleasures. And notice how Peter demonstrates the futility of this type of life. He says this, keep reading in verse 4. He says that with respect to this, those who are engaged in this activity, they are surprised when those who live for God do not join them in the same flood of sin. And they malign them. The self-seeking man, the self-serving man, the sinful man who is living only for his own desires looks at the surrendered man and he goes, what's wrong with you? And he doesn't recognize the wrongness that exists in his soul because he is living for the wrong things. And my friend, I hope that you hear me today clearly, and if you've never heard this before, that at the end of our days, we will give an answer for our time. Peter says in no uncertain terms, don't you love how the Bible cuts right to it? No uncertain terms, he says, they will give an account someday in the future. We don't know when. But we know this, that he is ready right now. Not in a vindictive type of way, but in a way that inspires us to know that because our lives matter, because what you do matters, because who you are matters in this life, all we live the type of life that is surrendered to the one who gave his life for us to live. 
Might we be pressing in to know and worship the Lord who has saved us from the wrath of God? That all of us should be in this predicament. That the wrath of God has been stored up against us. And yet on the cross, our gospel watch tells us that Christ suffered for our sins. That you might not face this day of judgment with terror, but with anticipation. Our gospel watch tells us that yesterday's sin is done, our current life is short, and that tomorrow's judgment is coming. It was Martin Luther, the great theologian, who uh, once said, I have two days on my calendar, this day and that day. This day being the day that I live today, that I might live it for the glory of God, so that when that day happens, I might live for the glory of God. We cannot live as if we don't know that day is coming. That day, God will either welcome us into his presence or we will scoff at him on our way to hell. My friends, I think so many people are enslaved to sin because they enjoy it. It provides a temporary release, a temporary pleasure, satisfies a need that you think you have. And when you die, so many people think, well, I'll just keep on sinning in hell. And yet, in hell, it's even too late. There will not be a drinking party in hell. There will not be illicit sex in hell. There will not be uh, a, a poker game in the back room of hell. It is a place of eternal torment. It is a place of separation. It is a place of isolation. And yet, I want to finish this passage because it gives us hope. Would you read with me in verse 6? Such great hope. It said, For this is why the gospel is preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. My friends, we fight sin by having a loaded gospel mindset. We fight sin by telling gospel time. And we fight sin by championing gospel proclamation. We fight sin as a community when we proclaim the fact that Jesus Christ has paid for our sins. We proclaim the fact that Jesus Christ is the greatest news that's ever been told. When we proclaim the fact that Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. When we champion that, and man, is there ever anything that we could as Christians stand for in this day and age when we seem to be standing against everything? Might we stand for forgiveness? Might we stand for God's purifying, cleansing power seen through Jesus? I was thinking this past week of how amazing the news of Jesus being alive actually is. As we see, even right now, people in the streets of Chicago celebrating this recent um, gay marriage affirmation by the Supreme Court. On Friday, as my Twitter feed blew up with rainbow-colored, whatever those things are called, as many people celebrated the news that uh, marriage was being, you know, affirmed as between man, man, woman, woman, man, woman, man, whatever. And I thought to myself, I understand that those who struggle with same-sex attraction might be joyful over this. But how much more joyful is everyone, regardless of the sin that they face, 
when you hear the news that Jesus Christ is alive? How much more reason to celebrate do we have that our eternal souls were destined for damnation and yet he plucked us out of the fire and called us his children? That no matter the sin, no matter what you've gone through, no matter the abuse, the victimization, Christ's power is enough to heal you and forgive you. And this message is available to all people, race, ethnicity, socioeconomical status. And now we even say sexual affiliation. Because people matter to God. And so can we as a church fight sin in our community, graciously proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only true good news. And so I want to do that today. I want you to hear this message that I've been preaching this whole entire time. Because you matter to God. God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die the death that you deserve to die. And God is so powerful that he not only crucified and murdered his own son for you, because he was able to take your sin upon himself, but he raised him up to newness of life. He is no longer dead. We have historical accounts of people who saw him alive. And so while it takes faith 2,000 years from that event to believe that Jesus is alive, we have God's word and God's story and his, his, his power living among us today. And I want to invite you, if you're not a Christian, maybe today is the day where you say, no longer do I want to live for myself. But I want to have this newness of life live in me. I want to be victorious over my addictions. I want Christ to be the one that I live for. If that's you, I want to pray with you in a moment. But I want you to know that Christ is winning the war within you. If you have those desires to live for Christ, that's nothing that you've done. It's you hearing the word of God. It's having it infiltrate your heart and saying, yes, thank you, God. For so many of us here, Christ has already won the war. We must just go walk in it.